Welcome back to the flip side. Galen Clavio here, Brian Moritz, our post Independence Day edition. Um, mm-hmm. we've, we've rolled through summer sweeps and we're into the doldrums of the television schedule. It's great. We no longer have to compete with the NBA finals. All That's we're right. up against is baseball and preseason football in a couple of weeks, Brian. Yeah. So I, I, I like our chances of survival into the third season now. I, I do. You know, we, we kind of withstood the free agency storm of the NBA and that was good. Um, give us, gives us a lot of fruitful stuff to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, now it's kind of the, you know, this is the time of, time of the season, I think, where you really separate the championship podcasts from the also rants. You know, the doldrums of summer. You know, can you keep up that that uh, that intent that day to day intensity to grind out the three the three or four wins every every week to kind of keep keep our lead in the division? I think we've got it. I think we can handle this. Well, I just you know I'm I'm already in pretty significant advanced talks with CAA. Uh, about my own personal representation. I, I, I hope that they'll take care of you as well, but I don't really have any control over that. But I feel like this is really going to propel us into a new space. I'm, I'm looking forward to that space, frankly. Well, and this is a joke I saw elsewhere on Twitter, but it's pretty good. You know, I threw out a, a crumpled up piece of paper the other day, and the Mavericks offered me three years, $38 million guaranteed. Well, yeah, so. you know, well, the Mavericks, I'm sure I'm shocked they didn't <laughs> offer you more. Uh, I'm worried I'm going to lose you to uh, the Mavericks or the Kings, actually. Uh, that, I'm not going to go Western Conference. I'm an Eastern Conference guy. I think it gives us a better chance to succeed to be out, be, to be out here instead of, instead of uh, trying to compete in the West. So Fair. I like those chances, yeah. So, so, um, so as we celebrate our, uh, our, ind- our independence and, and summer doldrums, what, um, I, 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 do you have new craft beer for the weekend, or are you kind of going through leftovers from the weekend? What do we, what do we have tonight? No, no, no. Had a, I just finished, actually, but I uh, had, a, had a Tin Man Rivet uh, Irish Red Ale. Um, it's uh, Tin Man's a brewery based out of Evansville, Indiana, which is about, no, two hours southwest of here, and it... It's got a nice flavor to it. It's it's a little different. It's um it's you know the Irish red ale. It's, it's not as harsh as the Scottish ale, mm-hmm. um, but it's got a different sort of flavor to it. So it's worth worth checking out. I think very nice. Very nice. I have. It's kind of a kind of a standard, but it's always one of my favorites and always a good one. Fat Tire by New Belgium. Yeah. Uh, they are very new. Like in the past month or two, just started distributing up here in uh, Western Central New York. So we have the full array of new belgium and the fat tire just you know one of the more solid always good craft beer selections a nice amber ale um nice mix of flavor kind of enough enough oomph behind it to make it feel feel good but at 5.2 you can have several and it's not gonna not gonna waylay it too much so yeah it's uh it's actually i got burned out on it for a while and and has slowly worked its way back into the orbit over the course of the last couple of years yeah they make a they have a watermelon beer this year that i don't know if they always have it but i we're seeing it up here and it's very very good too Um, i had um i had a watermelon the watermelon sculpin by Dallas point uh had I had a, uh, this was on like the day before the fourth. I had a watermelon sculpin and a grapefruit sculpin. I've I've had both of those before, yeah. and they are surprisingly good. Yeah, I would. I'd probably give the edge to the the grapefruit because the the sourness of the fruit flavor, I think, lends itself better to the hops. The okay. the watermelon formulation is there's something just a little something about it that doesn't quite match with the hops it's hard to it's hard for me to describe but um it was it wasn't bad i was the although i was the only one in the house that liked it so right. you know take that for what it's worth it is one of those especially the grapefruit grapefruit sculpt and i don't think i could ever have more than one but having one is a nice refreshing thing i don't it's not a multiple beer uh mul- multiple drink selection for me i don't think you get sometimes like that it's like you know, I had a peanut butter porter a mm-hmm. few months ago when I was up in Grand Rapids, and I was like, "Oh, this is really good." And I was like, "I, I can't imagine drinking more than one of these." No, no, that's see, and again, that's why the you know my my stance that the pick your own six pack is so good because it does, um, it, it you know you can have that one, and then you're not stuck with three peanut butter porters stuck in your fridge for several weeks or months. So <laughs> anyway. Uh, so we have we have a couple of uh, we have at least one leftover topic that we didn't get to last week that I think we wanted to talk about, uh, but we have a couple topics related to and kind of dancing around the uh, the Kevin Durant story. Um, yes. For posterity, uh, yesterday on July fourth, 
Uh, Kevin Durant announced that he is going to be signing a uh, free agent deal with the Golden State Warriors. And spasms of, re- of hot takes and reactions throughout uh, sports journalism world about uh, about that decision and sports media world about what that decision what that means and then we had a couple different ideas that we wanted to kick around kind of going off of that topic um and i'll and i'll get us started on this on on this one um in general and i've been thinking about this a lot not just with kevin durant but watching fan fans reaction to this is always something that's extremely extremely interesting um and uh, you know, I think probably the 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 you know, worst example of this would be, as I'm sure you saw yesterday on Twitter, the dad who videotaped his son who started crying when he told him that Durant was leaving, and then tweeted it out with a thanks Kevin at, Kev, tagged Kevin Durant on Twitter and that thanks at Ke- Katie whatever is Kevin Durant five or whatever his handle is you made my son cry, which like bothers me on like at least fourteen different levels because like. <laughs> Um, for one thing, do you think Kevin Durant's going to change his mind? Like, oh, man, I made this kid cry. I can't take this great deal. Now I'm, <laughs> I'm going to stay. Um, and just so, so just in fan reaction, not just to, to Durant, but just in general to like player moves. And we can even extend the fandom conversation beyond sports. But just I thought it was an interesting topic to kind of riff on and, and talk a little bit about and what we're seeing, how people react to news like this and news similar to this. Well, look, you know, I, I feel duty-bound to repeat the statistic that only 21% of the U.S. Internet population is on Twitter. Right. And and of the 21%, probably only about 10% um, use it consistently. Uh, so w- with that said, you know, look, I, I think if there's if there's anything that – social media has taught us it's that you want to get attention like you're mm-hmm. not there for reasoned takes about things but people i mean you can you can use reasoned takes and reasoned con- conversation about things reasoned reactions but that's really not going to get you a lot of immediate attention and so what it basically is is it's a it's a it's an escalating game of you know what can I do to get people to pay attention to my particular post? And so from that perspective, the the crying kid thing is brilliant because it combines a bunch of different things. It combines, um, you know, the, 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 the weird outrage that surrounded the KD announcement with, um, you know, this sort of, of, you know, trotted upon public, uh, approach that we see now more and more on social media. We saw this with Cleveland uh, in the very early stages when, you know, right after the decision, like that was really, that was really the thing about the LeBron. It wasn't that he chose Miami. It was that he, you know, he, he stomped on the hearts of all of these Cleveland fans. Right. Uh, and then, you know, and then you've got, you know, kids gain attention, you know, and so, so conceptually, the the idea was sound the way it was executed just made the guy look like an absolute tool and and that's that's you know that's it's interesting because the the internet outrage machines uh response was swift and unyielding and Mm -hmm. it it is kind of the cool thing sometimes about these sorts of situations is that you'll get people who will do something that gains a lot of attention and then the fire hose gets to turn back around onto them and they end up, you know, getting washed down the sewer. Right. Uh, and that's, that's kind of, and this guy deserved it. And it is, it is informative, I think, or should be informative for people to see that so that maybe next time they're like, I probably shouldn't do that. I probably right. should like not, not videotape my kid in a moment of, of, of agony uh, and then put it up for the world to see so that I can get retweets on Twitter. The thing is, though, I don't think that that's the lesson that people are going to take out of that. No. People are going to only take the idea that, hey, this guy got a lot of attention because of what he did with his kid. And frankly, right. I do think that it, the, the I feel a little bit bad for the guy because everybody gets outraged as hell over that. And yet, when Jimmy Kimmel encourages parents to videotape their kids 
like not getting what they want for Christmas and and, oh, and right. crying as a result of it, and then puts that on network television. The same people that are killing this dude are like yucking it up about that and being like, "Wow, that's hilarious." I mean, that you know, yeah. there, there's a real disconnect there, and. So, on the one hand, I think the guy is a tool. On the other hand, I think the people that have decided that he's like the worst person on the internet are kind of tools as well because they're not expressing that same sort of outrage when a famous person does it or tells other people to do it. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess there's that weird kind of um, that weird dichotomy of it, like you were saying, like when. When Jimmy Kimmel says, says to do it, hey, it's funny. But when this we, we discovered this guy doing it on his own, um, it just—I mean, you're right. He's it, it's icky. It was awful to watch. I didn't like watching it. Um, I, I've been thinking a lot about 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 fandom and about this story and um, other other fandoms. And you know, one of the other you know the other fandom that I'm hugely a part of uh, around the band, the Avett Brothers. They have a new album out. Uh, we're going to see them a few times this week. And um, now this is not n- nothing new for a band that's been around a while and kind of has had an evolution of their sound. But uh, the new album that they have, Rick Rubin has produced it. He's produced their last one, two, three, four albums, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and as you know, Rick Rubin, very influential producer, very, um, very. I want to say heavy-handed is not the right word, but he's not the guy who go who you just. He's not a Steve Albini type where he just set up mics in a room and lets a band play and records them and he goes. Like he's very involved in the process. And so um when 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 this album comes out there's you know and, and apparently this has been the case in all Rick Rubin albums um with the band that you know there's the the old school kind of diehard longtime fans hate it and hate the hate the influence. Like on this album like there's there's a nine inch song that almost sounds like a nine inch nail song. There's a lot of production. It's a lot, uh, it's a lot more, there's a lot more electronic. There's a lot, a lot more different instruments than just guitar, banjo, bass, whatever. But I when I you know, on, on some of the fan boards and, and fan Facebook pages that I'm on, you, you, you read the fan reaction to it. And the word that always sticks in my mind and with a lot of fandom, and I don't know if it's, you know, it's going to sound judgmental and I don't necessarily mean it, you know, except when I do, but there's a, there's a sense of entitlement. I think that a lot of fans have, and it extends towards uh, sports teams and extends toward bands. I think where like, I'm a fan of you. I'm paying my money. I'm entitled to blank. I'm entitled to, um, you know, beyond just having an opinion on it, but there's this, there's this kind of, sense of entitlement i see in a lot of in, in a lot of fan environments whether it's sports whether it's music comics and certainly in and sci-fi and in, and in that area and, and and um i don't know it's just something i've noticed and just something i i i i've seen yeah. and um you know i don't you know i'm not one of those people who blames twitter or blames facebook or blames social media i think it, it, if anything else it either gives a voice to it or amplifies it or gives people who would normally just complain to their friends about it a chance to complain about it publicly and then it looks louder than not. But it's just something I've noticed and, and, and thinking about fan fandom and fan culture and what it means to kind of be a fan of a team or a band or something like that. Um, it's just something I've noticed lately and I don't know if I'm just paying attention to it more. Um, I don't necessarily think it's like on an upswing or a big thing. It's just something I've noticed. No, I think it's it's a valid observation. And look, I think this is where our perspective as former media members, people that worked in the field, people that study the field, I think that it, you know any media member, current or former, you get such a different perspective on sports. Like you see the people involved as human beings, whether they're, you know, the coaches or the players or the, the the front office staff, you, you understand it's a business. It's kind of like being in the movie business. You know, I mean, you, you know, you work as a, as a producer or a director, or you work, you know, as a, as a gaffer or, you know, whatever you're like, you're in the business. You, you see that it's a business. You see that there's, there's at the end of the day, there's a product being sold and that product is, is the, uh, the, the movie, it's the people in the movie mm-hmm. and there's, there's an economy to that just like there's an economy to everything else. Sure. I think sometimes, you know, 
Look, I thought a lot of the fan reaction to Durant was dumb, but I didn't really care. I was much more irritated about the media reaction to Durant because, you know, look. Which we can talk about. I think that's a good segue into that area. You know, I mean, fans, like, media love to act haughty on social media and chastise fans for, you know, not thinking about things logically or feeling entitled to use the word you used earlier. And you know what? I mean, I think we're expecting a higher plane of consciousness for people in sports or in music than, than maybe we should, Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the average sports fan doesn't really care about the athlete, most athletes as human beings. They don't really care that it's a logical business decision for them to, you know, to put themselves in a situation where they've signed up for, you know, a new contract with a team that gives them a better chance of winning or maybe they're just tired of their current situation. I mean, you know, the the fan of Oklahoma City, you know, maybe they felt like they knew Durant and maybe now they feel betrayed and, and, you know, media can sit around and say, well, this person doesn't know you anything. They don't know the franchise anything. The franchise would dump them. Yeah, but, you know, that's true. And franchises are soulless, you know, to, to, you know, to the ultimate. I mean, they have zero loyalty to, to their people. But sure. should they? I mean, like the idea of the idea of, of sports is a business, and it is a business. Mm-hmm. Any, any business, loyalty can really get you into trouble. Okay. Um, you know, there's there's a certain business pattern that you have to follow at, at, to to some degree, and particularly in athletics, where you know employees' physical gifts uh, and, and what they can provide to you at that particular time, like that's that's the currency of it. It's it, you know the, the you, right. you get must be on that. You're not, and then these are, these are things we don't like to talk about, but it's true. Um, so I look at that. And I look at fan reaction and I say, you know, for the Oklahoma City fan, I would be upset too. For Mm -hmm. the, you know, for the neutral fan who wants, you know, wants to see the Thunder play the Warriors. Yeah, I mean, maybe as a neutral fan who doesn't understand how the business works, I'd want to see that too. And I'd be upset or disappointed if something got in the way of that. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm more irritated with the media because the media is what stokes these flames. You know, right. the, me- the media commentary, whether it's Stephen A. Smith or Mike Lupica or, or any of the people that decided to wade, wade into this. Your boy Greg Doyle on Indianapolis. My boy Greg Doyle, he had a slightly different angle on it, which I also did not agree with. But, you know, but, you know the, their, their approach should be more intelligent than it has been. It should be more conscious of how the business actually works. And and I feel like um a lot of these guys are writing as if it's still the eighties or nineties mm-hmm. and the and they don't ha- have a window into how things actually work when in fact they do. And you know, to me, social media, if it's done anything, it's provided validation for people to have opinions that might be, you know, uh, uh, running against the mainstream or even in, in, in this case, I guess, simply opinions that are angry and and anti whatever is going on. In this case, KD going to Golden State. When they see media members stoking those flames or even upsetting the opinion, like leading in the opinion area, I think that ends up building what would have been relatively isolated irritations and 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 justifying them to a large degree and, and maybe pushing, pushing them into a place where they wouldn't have gotten on their own. All right. it, it, it is interesting. I was thinking about this today. As I was thinking about, I read through, or I, like skimmed around all like the, the, the hot takes, the, the Doyle piece, you know, all the, the reactions to, <clears throat> to Durant. Um, uh, Rick Riley had like perhaps, I don't know if you saw the tweet Rick no, Riley had I about it. Tweet, yeah. I'm actually thinking about writing a blog post about counting the number of the, the things wrong with that with that with that tweet. Um, but I, but I, I was thinking, and I'd love to get your opinion on this as former sports guys. I was thinking about struggling with it. Um, what's the column you would have written, or the commentary you would have done if you were going to write for today? on Durant because like I, I was thinking about that because I was thinking if I were a columnist what would I write like I would not write the 
the kind of classic now hot take. This is terrible. He shouldn't be. He should man up and win a championship on his own. He shouldn't be trying to, uh, you know, basically the 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 point of view that's anti super teams. Like I don't agree with that. I think you should go where you want to go. But I don't want to write necessarily write that. You know, and I was struggling with it, and and I wonder if there's something a lesson in there for sports media, like. Why do we have to? Why do you have to to write the column just to write the column? I understand getting clicks. I understand the conversation. I understand page views. I understand all that. But I, I, I feel like that I, that attitude just kind of promotes this quick take culture where I'm not no, I'm not reading anything new in any of this. So I'm wondering, you know, as someone who used to work in sports media who studies this. Who has a good perspective? What would you? What would your ben angle have been, or what would you have thought about kind of making your angle be? I think my angle would have been: here we are, the day after one of the top four players in the NBA decides to go to a better work situation, where he'll have a chance at winning a title after eight years of being in a place where they could not put a title contender together around him, and. Right. Large numbers of people, including people in the media, are saying that this is the worst decision that he could make. And I would break that down into two pieces. The first piece would be, how many of you apply that same sort of logic to your own professions? Mm -hmm. do, you, do you stay at the small company that you start off with? Let's say you're an accountant. You know, if, you know, do, you, do you stay at, at, a, at the, the place you interned at? in in the mid-sized city rather than take the job right out of college at one of the big four firms uh right. you know is that i mean do you know people that did that you would look down upon the people who did that you would say those people didn't didn't have what it took to make it in the big time um you know things like that where the you know the the concept of athletes as as people who are making a living at a profession is something that we don't give them credit for mm -hmm. you know we still you know what was the announcement was that you know Kev, kevin durant was going to play with golden state well really he was going to work at golden right. state and there's right. there's a significant difference there in the the amount of 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 time and effort and physical ability required to work for that team to try to work for a championship which uh frankly he was not able to win at Oklahoma City for a variety of reasons, most of which I don't think lie at his feet. Right. Uh, you know, we would never question anybody in regular, like, business life or our personal lives trying to better their situation. And yet, we criticize it here in the world of sports. And the other thing I would say in my piece would be, if you don't realize it now maybe this wouldn't matter to my audience but it's hopefully it would matter to some of the more intelligent people who read it this is why owners always win every labor negotiation because mm -hmm. the public relations fall, fall blowback when there's a work stoppage is always that the players are making too much money that the players uh, are too greedy that the players are only interested in themselves when in reality uh, it's a lot more complicated than that, and more often than not, uh, the owners have created systems that are not particularly fair to the players themselves. And so, you know, I, I think when a player exercises their rights under a system that the owners created, and everybody complains that the player ex uh, exercises their right, it illustrates why it's so difficult for players to, to in any sport, whether it's the NFL or the NBA or whatever, to you know, move themselves forward within the game that they're in. So that would probably be the angles that I would take. I don't know if it'd be a popular column or if people give a crap, but uh, I think those are the sorts of things that need to be said. Would those mm -hmm. resonate with people? No. And I think what you said at the beginning was, was accurate. You asked, you asked, well, why, why do people feel the need to, to go this direction? And you said, well, you know, I understand hot takes and clicks and all that, but that's the only reason that they do it, I think. I, I have a hard time believing that, that people in sports media who study this stuff for a living or are supposed to would, would really be able to write a lot of the contrarian bullshit that I, I read uh, in some of the columns over the course of the last 24 hours without w at least some in some way, shape, or form, trying to put a face on in order to, to garner attention. Maybe there's some people who, f who firmly believe uh, what they're saying. 
that's kind of questionable in and of itself to me because I wonder exactly, you know, what is their intellectual perspective about the game at that point? I I, I often wonder that too, and I wonder like the the like one thing I actually very much dislike in in the idea of a columnist, and I don't care whether you're contrarian or not, but it's the love me hate me. You're going to have a reaction to what I read. You're going to react, and that's like the, the point the Dan, of a the column. Dan Shaughnessy phenomenon. The Shaughnessy phenomenon, right? You know, the the least you're reacting to me, and, I'm, and my job is to provoke and to have a strong opinion. And I always I always had a problem with that. It's probably why I didn't succeed as a columnist because there are times when I don't have a strong opinion, and I feel like faking a strong opinion is it, it doesn't really. It doesn't really serve anybody's purpose, and a lot of these opinion pieces about Durant specifically, they 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 just feel so rote, so paint by numbers. They feel like they're really, you know, this is the easy column that I can write that's going to get a lot of reaction, that's going to get people mad one way or the other. But that's my job as a columnist is to get people, is to create a reaction among people. And I don't think that's a good description for a columnist. I think a good description for a columnist is somebody who kind of, you know. You know, this is going to sound highfalutin, but whatever. I'm a professor; I can do that. Um, it's someone who speaks the truth to people, you know, whether it's you know popular or not. And I feel like, you know, there, there, you know, there, there, there's an ability here to say, um, you know, players have all, you know, owners. The game is always rigged for the owners. The owners of the house in sports, they always win. And you know, one thing that I have found intriguing about this, and I thought this back when. LeBron had the decision way back in 2000 and whatever, um, was that in a way you could spin this and frame this as not the most an incredibly selfish act by Durant, which is the way it's being kind of, you know, one of the, the driving narratives of this is that he doesn't want, he doesn't want a, the pressure of winning on his own. He's being selfish and going to another team where it's ready-made and he can just step in. And I feel like, in another in another world or another frame, you could say that, well, all of a sudden he doesn't care about scoring, being one of the NBA top scorers. He's not going to average what he's been averaging at Golden State. He's going to score less. His stats are going to suffer, but he's doing that to win, which is the stated goal we have in sports, right? We're always like winning is the only thing that matters. Getting championships is the only thing that matters. And in a way, you could frame this decision and LeBron's decision is – I'm taking less individual glory to be a part of a better team and to help lead a better team and be a part of a better team and win there. And it's amazing how in the, the sports, the, the media narrative kind of shifted that to, um, well, you're, you're, not, you're not winning championships the right way. And now there's a right way to win a championship. You basically have to be the Michael Jordan model where you are the star and, and, and sole member of, of a great team that drafted you and you never leave and you win all those championships, even if you have like two or three Hall of Famers and excellent players surrounding you, you, you kind of have that. So, I mean, I, it, it, is, it is always striking at how when stories like this happen, the, the players have no, and it's a sort thing, but players have no, like, like players will never win in public relations. The own, it's amazing how the owners have it, it's so institutionalized this kind of support not even support for the owners i don't think it's necessarily support for the owners but support for the team and as such a uh almost hatred of the players in the in, in these regards it's really it, it's it, it's one of those things that i feel like is starting to shift a little bit but not on a widespread not widespread it's yeah, I mean, the, there's small gains in certain places, but mm-hmm. but generally speaking, no. I think it's it's very much like you said. And I think hatred may be a strong word. I just think um, sports. I, I was saying like in the sports hate sense. More. Well, no, I get that. But I mean, look, the, the, at the end of the day, there are I don't remember how many. What like f- there's like f- there's 500 pl- NBA players in a given year. There's 30 NBA owners. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's, you know, a couple thousand N- NFL players. There's 32 NFL owners. You know, it's much easier to be, to consolidate and have on one message 32 people than a couple of thousand. Sure. Uh, you know, and, and those, those sorts of things matter in the court of public opinion. Um, you know, it's hard to get everybody on the same page from a, from a message standpoint. And, you know, it's, it's you know it's funny like even before the the Kevin Durant thing came out you know people were 
making fun of these contract amounts that were being given to to bench warmers. You made a joke about it in the intro to this podcast, you know, mm-hmm. and I mean, and that's you know, and it's funny to some degree, but it's not because um, people look at that and they're like, well, this is this money is undeserved, you know, like right. why are they giving all this money to people? And it's like, you know, two things, you know, a this is money that the players earn because the NBA earns so much more than that. Yeah. Like, you know, this is, this is half of the money that the NBA is earning and, yeah. and it's coming off of the direct performances of the players. Right. Um, you know, that, so it's not undeserved. It's just where the market is right now. Right. And, you know, if you want to get angry at the salaries, don't get angry at the players. I don't make fun of the players, make fun of Comcast. Right. Uh, you know, or make fun of, of, of direct TV. They're the ones that are, you know, acting as the middlemen supplying the money. Uh, but the other thing, and, and I think that the, this is, you know, maybe the more important uh, the more important item is that you know you get you get these ideas in in the public that that you know basketball players are making all this money and then you look at the NFL and you know Andrew Luck got pilloried uh, in some corners here in Indiana because he signs this big contract with the Colts and it's eighty seven million dollars guaranteed over the course of like six seasons mm-hmm. and everybody's like oh I don't know if he's worth that and. And then, you know, you turn around and Mike Conley's signing a $152 million guaranteed contract. And I'm sorry, right. uh, you know, Andrew Luck is in far greater physical danger on a, on a you know, a, a daily basis, basically, than oh, Mike Conley is. Right. He, he's got far greater long-term risk uh, to, his, to his mind, to his body, for doing what he does. Mm-hmm. And... And you know, eighty-seven million guaranteed is considered like the, well, like the richest contract in NFL history, or something like that. Right. And and it's like, what the hell happened here? Like, how is how is that? Like, how is it that that contracts in the NFL aren't even guaranteed unless you specifically negotiate guarantees within it? And right. you've got baseball, you've got the NFL, you've got the N- the NHL. Oh, excuse me, the NBA, the NHL, where you've got guaranteed contracts. I mean, you know, it's it's funny to me. It's one of the byproducts of what we're talking about, which is teams or, or labor players losing labor negotiations. And you look at the NFL, and you're like, wow. Like you want an example of of where this has really gone off the rails and never gotten back on. You look at all these other sports and what they've managed to accomplish. The NFL, which has got the worst physical issues and and the most risk and the shortest careers, has the least amount of guaranteed money of all of them. It's and it just so happens to be the most popular of all the sports and the one that makes the most money. Right. So correlations there. Um, I I yeah I find the uh, and what's funny is. I remember on PTI this week they were talking about Andrew Luck and should he have what, – what, what was it that he he could have gotten more money but he took less or did he not give back – he took less money than he could have gotten. Is that right? I was, I'm trying to, to remember I that. I don't know. You know what? I, I didn't even pay attention to that part of the debate to be honest but, with you. But it's – I mean it, it, it's such um, indicative I think of you know the – of. The, the 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 culture that we that's built around sports and the the culture that's built around you know the, the this weird way and and media is a big prime example of this I think of trying to do things the right way like there's a proper way to do it like you need to get a lot you, you want to get paid and you want to get money but if you take a lot of money and hurt your team then you're a greedy player but if you don't get but but it, it, it's this weird have your cake and eat it too situation i think we, we we hold athletes and we hold athletes to where um we want them to to kind of be these self-sacrificing you know do do anything we want to win um i don't know where i'm going with this actually. Well, no, no i, I think I, you're I right and, and, I, and i think i think a lot of that emanates from the media and mm-hmm. the way that the media covers players i mean we've still got media who when something happens in sports that they don't like, their fallback is these are these people are just playing a boys a little boys game, you know. Right. Like you know, right. it's that it's that bullshit that you hear, or you mm-hmm. know, um, or you know, these people are making way more money than they should, and and right. you, know, you know, anybody would want to do that for a living, and it's just right. it's just so out of step with reality and the and the elite nature of the athletes that play our professional sports and our collegiate athletics too at the highest levels. You know right. What I mean? It's it's just so out of step, and it irritates me. Again, you know, fans 
fans are going to be dumb. Fans are going to be self-centered. Fans are going to be right. self-interested. Um, some are going to educate themselves, but very few will if if they're not given any information with which they can educate themselves. And that's the thing that's the, that's the irritates me the most. It's like with with these sorts of you know hot take columns, whether it's about Kevin Durant going to a better work situation and taking less money to do it, by the way, right? You know, or or whether it's Andrew Luck getting paid too much money, despite the fact he's one of the top six quarterbacks in the league. Right. And he's had zero roster help and zero line protection over the, right. the basically the first few years of his career. You know, when when media write those sorts of things, it just reinforces these these stupid stereotypes that mm-hmm. that media established in the first place because media were acting as mouthpieces for ownership for many years. You know, I right. mean, like the, these are the things that matter. And I get really irritated when they when they, they happen again and again because no one really seems to care. Right. It's funny for a lot of years. I remember back in like the late '90s, early 2000s, when uh, Dan Levitard first became a a, a, do, a a kind of a presence on ESPN, and he was, you know, widely like in sports journalism circles and sportsjournalist.com and on that board. It was widely like he's the player apologist and blah 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 sure. blah. And now, and, and and I didn't agree with a lot of what he said. You know, you know, I I don't, you know, but that that's neither here nor there. It's funny. I tell people like when I was a reporter. He was one of the guys I disliked the most. And ever since I started grad school, he's probably the guy I liked listening to the most. I really I guess what grad school does to you. But um I I, 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 I do find, you know, you never hear a columnist called uh, an owner apologist. So maybe Peter King every now and then. But but like but but that relationship is so ingrained and to have like that player that that, you know, that really the voice of the player. I think we as sports journalists like to talk a big game about that, but I think that what, um, but to really kind of get into understanding, uh, you know, understanding and presenting the, 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 the player side of this um, from a slight, from, from a critical, you know, from a detached critical journalistic point of view. And I'm not talking like being like the players tribune and ghostwriting for Kevin Durant, but like really, um, you know, understanding all sides of this and not kind of just defaulting to the everyone would love to play basketball for a living and, and how dare he not do it this way. Um, yeah. Well, no, I think, look, we, when we've talked about this before, it's my big irritation with college basketball reporting is that <laughs> it is so coach-centric. Yes. Because the coaches are around – you know, they're the ones that you get quotes from. They're the ones that you get inside information from. I get all that. But yeah, that sort of that sort of access-based journalism ends up making you look like a shill for the coaches and their particular, sure. you know, desires and needs. And and I think the, uh, the same thing applies when you're talking about reporting on front office stuff. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. for, for an NFL team or for an NBA team, you know, you're going to probably have more sources on the front office side than you're going to have on the player side. Right. And even if you don't, you, I mean, if you're covering the, the I don't know, the – an NBA team. Let's say you're covering the Pacers and you're, right. you've got a great source in George Hill's camp and right. you know, you can get information and perspectives and, Oh, guess what? George Hill just got traded to the jazz. Right. Well, now you're screwed right. uh, because if that's your only source, I, I get that. But, but right. by the same token, it, it's then hard for me to look at the coverage and say, oh, well, we're getting the full picture here, or oh, right. we're getting something other than just a filtered version of what the owners are interested in. And I think you see that in a lot of the reaction whenever players, like, very visibly do things on, you know, for themselves mm-hmm. in, in, in the way that, that you know, in a way that they should. Like, we're not talking about stupid self-interest here. We're talking right. about bettering their situations. Right. That's where you start to get the kind of reactions that you see. Uh, in in reaction to some of the scenarios that we've been talking about here today. All right, well, I, I, I'll throw out the third rail here just for fun because um, then we get to our other our other more fun topic. But how, how much do you think, as someone who studies this more, has studied this longer than me, how much do you think race plays a role in this? Well, I think it plays a role. I think that I think it plays less of a role now. Than, than certainly than it did say twenty years ago, and I think that from the stand, I, th- I say that from this perspective. I think that um, the 
the idea, first of all, there just aren't, um, you know, there, there aren't that many people left who can act overly paternalistic consistently to minorities at the highest levels of sport and not come across in in big trouble with either their audience or with their you know the the people at the at the highest levels of their network you know right. Stephen A Smith can do it but he's you know he's got the protection of being a minority himself I guess I mean you know I mm-hmm. think his reactions to to Kevin Durant not just with this but with some of the stuff he said in regards to Durant have been really questionable um right. but but nobody looks at that as a racial thing. And and I think if you look at that as a standard upon which, because he was the first one that came out and was really strongly against this Durant move, right. uh, I think that to some degree that sucks the oxygen out of the, the room as far as, as that's concerned. I mean, you, you, you could either make an argument that everything that's being said has a racial undertone. I don't particularly believe that um, <laughs> when, when it comes to these topics. Certainly, Andrew Luck got, you know, criticized or maybe criticized the wrong word, but, but was Andrew Luck was in many circles pointed at and said, he's not worth that amount of money. Uh, and that wasn't a race thing. I think that was right. more of a, it was more of an ability thing. So it's hard for me to say, well, that wasn't racial, but these things are when it's a similar sort of argument. Sure. Um, sure. I, 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 I tend to agree with you. I just kind of wanted to toss it out there as a, as a point of discussion. So, so the other topic I kind of wanted to mention about it, about this, and I think we could have some fun discussing this because we've delved way too deep into our work lives for that last discussion. Um, mm. But I, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about. I started thinking about this topic a few weeks ago when I brought up when we first thought of last week's discussion on instant replay. And I was trying to think of a way, and this can be part of the question, but any way that replay a sports situation like instant replay could be applicable and desirable in real life. And that also got me thinking. And in, in, in the discussion and, and a lot of the points you made is, what if our jobs and real life employment was like sports employment? You know, it's funny because um, so where where would you have a no trade clause to? Oh God, anything, anything in a in a cold climate. Uh, you know, I mean, any, anything. Right, so we're not so we're not we're not getting you at Oswego, is what I'm hearing. I, probably not. Like, I think the closest you'll get me to Oswego is, um, gosh, I seventy has always been my cutoff. So. <laughs> um, yeah, you're not getting anywhere. Geez, no, no, no. I can't think of it. Maybe Penn State, but I really, I don't really have a desire to go to Penn State. I can't, I can't um, see you getting along well at Penn State. No. Um, yeah. So um, okay. it's it'd be rough. I mean, um, maybe Ohio State would be the closest I would get. Right. But uh, I, yeah, I think that would be it. I'm kind of like, it's like Dwayne Wade. You know, they've been talking about how Dwayne Wade might go to Cleveland. Like right. Talk, you know, well, which is an Im- Im- impractical because Cleveland can only offer him three million dollars a year. And he's been living in Miami for the last, you know, what, 13 years or whatever right. it is. I don't think he's picking up and moving to the Lake Erie shore No, uh, no. at this stage in his life. But, um, yeah, that would be – I would say no trade clause there. And I would also say that, um, you know, I'm – I don't know. I would say I'm, I'm probably – I wouldn't mind joining a super team as kind of a veteran at this point, you know right, what I mean? But, yeah. but I'm, I'm worried that, you know, as a, as a, as a guy who's eligible for the veteran max at this point or close to it, <laughs> right? I, yeah, I, you I, might, I, I might be too expensive for some salary caps. What that, about you? What, what well, about you? Well, I mean, I mean, this is the challenging thing for me because like I'm still on my rookie contract. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm really playing for that, for that max level deal. And that's still three, four years down the road. I'm kind of like, or, you know, I'm not as good as at my job as Mike Trout is at his job, but I'm kind of like on that that early level playing and trying to play up for your next deal. I'm like Russell Wilson in that way, and so you, you know I, I, I you know um, and, and so I'm playing, so I'm trying to get that 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 long term the, the 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 real long term deal here. It's funny in our in our line of work, there actually is kind of a long term deal that you there can is. get, um, but um, but yeah, you know I you know. Um, I, I, I was thinking about that because I was thinking about, you know, the 
one of the arguments and that you made when of people who are critical of Duran is have you ever left a job for more money or a better work environment? And of course we all have. And I was thinking about how inhumane trades really are when you kind of think about it at a personal level, you know, cause I was thinking about the, what if I showed up to work one Monday to teach my three classes and, and my department chair calls me in my head, call, calls me in and says, y- you've been traded to SUNY Purchase, which is way the heck upstate, like <laughs> up in the Adirondacks. And, and, and we've, tra- and we, or, or, or moved you up, or you've been traded to Arkansas Little Rock for, cause, <laughs> cause, because they needed a, because they have a, we needed to fill a, uh, a public relations professor and they had a really good one. So, and they're looking to build a sports media thing down there. So we're trading you down there and you start, you have to teach this week. And that's basically what trades are. Like you literally have to pick up your entire life and are expected to move to an entirely new situation at the drop of a hat. And like that would be the equivalent of I show up Monday and I have to teach Tuesday or Wednesday at a completely new school that I've never wanted to be at or be at before. It is, it's, it's so weird because trades are so fun and we love talking about them. But when you step back and think about them from that perspective, they're ridiculous. They are just so crazy. All I have to say is thank God college athletics don't have anything like that. And, and, you know, you you just, you want to go to a place you're going to be able to stay for four years, maybe five with a scholarship taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, thank goodness we we're not so savage as to expose amateur athletes to that sort of life uh, change. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, look, it's a dirty profession. Coaches deal with it just as much as players do. Mm -hmm. Coaches get fired at the drop of a hat Coaches rarely get traded, and when they do, it's generally uh, something that they're very conscious of and are actually pushing for. And again, it's you know, it's just like it's work, it's a business, and right. you know, it it is weird when you think about it. You know, a trade. I mean, granted, you know, most of the time, most of the time, players are you know they haven't necessarily bought a house in that particular environment maybe they're right. just like staying in or, a condo or well, something and, and also we will say the teams will pay travel expenses like the the next team will put you up and you're making very very good money so that yeah. you don't you don't have to struggle like how am i going to afford rent at this new place when i have rent at this old place that's th- there are built-in infrastructure things that can help with that but 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 it does it does have a psychological effect on a human being to have to go to a completely new place. I mean, I know this. I mean, I this is this was my life when I was working in in broadcasting. You know, we had to. I got. I, I mean, I had places go out of business, or right. I had places you know that that were obviously about to go out of business, and and I would make, I would move to different jobs. Some you know sometimes of my own volition, and sometimes because I had no other choice. Um, and you know, it was disconcerting. I mean, it was a very nomadic lifestyle and yeah, I mean, it's, it is, I never got traded, uh, you know, and and I know in, in academia, it would certainly be interesting. It would also be interesting if there were media covering, uh, the, the transactions that occur in academia. One of my, one of our, you know, friends, uh, Pat Walsh Mm -hmm. was talking about that. He's like, you know, wake up, see a headline on, on, uh, you know, a, uh, ASPN or whatever it would be for academia, <laughs> you know, Walsh to Syracuse, like a right. uh, highly questionable move, you know, I mean, like what is, what is Syracuse thinking, bringing him in or something like that? Yeah. Sources, colon, 10 year committee, unhappy with, 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 with more service requirements. Can you, can you imagine how awful sources would be? In if academia was covered like sports, oh, I mean, oh my goodness! I mean, just 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 the just the internal politics of academia mm-hmm. are like the worst thing ever. I, God <laughs> forbid, there was an actual public marketplace for those ideas. Oh my God, that would be yeah. Imagine like what would happen like faculty meetings, like like reporting on fat like if there was a Woj reporting on faculty meetings yeah. in your department. That's terrifying. I mean, imagine imagine if we covered tenure decisions. The way that we covered NBA free agency. Oh my goodness! You know, yeah. I, I, and and so look, I know this is inside baseball to those of you who aren't in academia, but put it in your own careers. You know, I mean, you might yeah. you might think, oh, this would be fun, and then think about, uh, you know, you 
like looking at your cell phone one day and seeing a report saying that you've been traded to uh you know a a business that's set up in Birmingham, Alabama and right. your boss still hasn't called you to let you know yet. Right. Uh, you know th- those are the sorts of things that that athletes go through. And yeah, you can say hey, they make lots of money. They 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 should be accepting of whatever. Well, they are, but mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily make it any easier from a psychological perspective. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, the thought that careers are super short too, like you're only going to get, you know, what's the, you know, the, the great stat that's always repeated. The average career is like less than three years or something for, like for that the, for the NFL. Yeah. For the NFL. Yeah. It's like less than three years. So, okay, here's a question for you. Let's take contract money out of the arrangement because obviously we'd like to get paid like pro athletes. What about the pro athlete job experience? Would you like it to, to be replicated in the work of it in the work world well uh i think you know the the constant fear of being replaced by somebody who's five years younger and will work for a lot less money i'd love to see that replicate no i'm kidding i'm completely, <laughs> I was completely joking about that um I, I, <laughs> yeah, no um you know i think ah, goodness uh i think the thing I'd like the most is if everything had an audience that you did. Okay. Uh, because I, I think that, you know, the, the ability to perform in front of people, you know, even if it's something like, you know, writing up an, uh, you know, accounting, uh, like doing an Excel spreadsheet or writing a paper or cleaning carpets or whatever right. it happens to be. Um, you know, having an audience would be, would be interesting outside of that. I mean, you know, it's like any other job. I mean, I, I think that, um, I can, I, I will not, I will certainly say I don't want to see the travel in everyday right. life because I've done that life before and it That's sucks. Awful. It's, yeah. it's like the worst thing in the world. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, it's, it's incredibly disconcerting. I don't know. What do, what do you think? Uh, I, I would love the clubhouse spread to be replicated at work. Um, so that there's daily like food provided, like good quality, like decent food. Um, that would be great. Um, even like the double A baseball team I used to cover, they used. To, I mean, the food was double A quality, but it was all, but it was there. And I and I and I always, you know, w- would like to see that replicated. I know we can't claim salary, but I've always been jealous of meal money. Of, of the per diem, uh, the I really, yeah, I don't think that you really should be jealous of it. Well, um, at, at, well, okay, big league level per diem, because like well, I know minor league level is like what twenty five bucks a day or something like 25 that. Twenty five yeah. bucks a day, but even that, you know, on uh, I, you know, I mean, this this, this is connected to the news. So, you know, we have the uh, what, that that, what that you, okay. I want you all week. I want you to eat. On twenty five dollars a day. I've done that before. I've done that on when, when, when I when I was single. I did a, that. No, no, no. Right now with a no. family. I want no. You that's to ridiculous. Twenty five dollars a day. That's ridiculous. I'm, worked, in the, I'm in the major leagues now. I'm not I, taking minor league meal money. When I worked in the Frontier League as a broadcaster, our per diem was twelve dollars and fifty cents a day, and this was in two thousand and one. Uh, and that didn't go very far. Right. And so you like fast food. Uh, you you know that's pretty much all you're getting. Uh, well, and that was pre. And I feel sorry for you because that was like pre dollar menu four for yeah. four era. Like now it wouldn't be easy, but at least you could get calories. Like you'd be unhealthy as a horse, but you'd at least get calories. Back then you were really struggling. Yeah, you must have been really struggling. Um, but no, I major league per diem money. I have always thought is great, but if not if not that, then I'll take the clubhouse spread. I do like <laughs> like, like that. But other than that, like it 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 is so. You know, when when you step back and think about it, you realize the pressure filled environment uh, that being a pro athlete is. Like you said, the uh, you know being replaced by someone young, five years younger, and uh, and, and and less expensive. Um, you know that you know kind of that 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 environment is just it's it's amazing athletes pro athletes handle it as well as they do and as many of them kind of come out on the other side as kind of well adjusted and as you know functional as they do because that's got to be just that's just got to be a really awful spot to be in for a very long time yeah i mean i think awful i don't know if awful is the right word but it's got to be just such a challenge because it is it's like every day you know, unless you're, even if you're a superstar, you know, you could go right up and down, right up and down, you know, 
you're the guy in double A who's sweating it out because you're making two grand a month and you know, twelve dollars a day in meal money and trying to get up to get up to the big leagues. And then triple A, you're trying to make it just enough just enough to get on uh, on the next perch. And then beyond that, you know, you're in the big leagues trying to catch on. You're in the you're a super, you're a mid level guy trying to get to the all star contract. You're the all star guy trying to get the big contract, and it just that that pressure is just unyielding, and it and it really I think does take that special kind of psych- psychological profile to make it. It's tough, and look, I you know it's funny. Anytime we sit around, not we, but anybody you know sits around and and talks about athletes and and the struggles they have, it's almost like you know. Uh, people people act like that those sorts of takes deserve no respect it 's very strange like we're we 're almost preconditioned to classify athletes as spoiled and as you know un undeserving of the things that they they have earned over time and and it, mm-hmm. i just I find that kind of fascinating yeah. that that mentality uh and I understand where it comes from and I understand. Uh, I don't agree with it, but I understand where it comes from. And mm-hmm. I think it'd be fascinating to really delve deeply into that. Like why, why there's that much of a divide in people's yeah. minds between, you know, people, pe- people that, that are earning a living who are very, very good. Like the, like the elite in the world, possibly the few people who are publicly elite in their field that we will ever see. I think, right. you know, musicians and, athletes maybe the only two groups of people where we really see the elite of the elite on a truly public stage like yep. we don't see elite teachers we don't right. see elite scientists we don't i mean they, those people exist but they're not pub, they're not front facing they're, they're not performant they don't necessarily there's no real performance uh, to be to performative aspect of it i thought about that a, i remember thinking about that uh when i worked in binghamton at the newspaper there was a challenger event the minor leagues of tennis came through every year and I, and I remember I covered early week one year. I think Andy Murray was there one of the years I covered it when he was either just coming up or like it was coming off an injury. And uh, like Goran Ivanisevic was there. Um, but I remember watching just like, you know, a regular match between two guys on the Champions Tour, on the, cha- on the Challenger Tour. And these are like guys who cannot be like have not made it on the pro level tour yet. So they are, you know, they're playing a weekend, a weekly tournament in Binghamton. So that's where they are in their careers. <laughs> but I remember watching them and thinking, now I play tennis. I, I play tennis. I'm fair to passable as a, 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 a as an average person. I can hold my own enough that I don't completely embarrass myself. If I, I remember thinking, watching one kid, I forget his name. He was, he was he had played at Kentucky, and I remember thinking, if I played him, he would be the best tennis player I've ever played against in my life by far. He's the best tennis player everybody in his life knows, and he's out here as like. And I say this with, with no judgment, a nobody on a, in, a, in a midweek challenger event in Binghamton. Like that, like, and that, I, I'm fascinated with that gulf between like me and that guy versus that guy and like Roger Federer. And like, like mm-hmm. uh, you know, like this, like, like I remember, I know you're not a huge Sally Jenkins fan, but she had a piece on, she, she had a, did an interview on Pointer several years ago. I'm just combining all of your loves here. You're really, you're doing well. <laughs> but, but, but it was, a, it was a great point that she made, you know, in, in her writing about athletes. She said the, 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 the pro athlete you think of as the laziest doggy, most dog of an athlete works harder than, than any norm, regular person you've ever met in your life. And it's true. And it, and, and it's just, it, you know, to think of to, to think of that gap, and and to think of the the musicians and the athletes who make it look so effortless and easy, and um, yeah, um, again, I'm going nowhere with this, but it is just um, amazing to kind of think about that environment that that all these that all these athletes have to live in, and you know, you know. They want to go, you know, to to and I think to kind of bring it full circle to kind of criticize them for going to a better work environment or a different work environment or one a work environment where they want to go to where you're at a point in your career where you can say, I want to be here, and you know what? I don't have to tell you why. Right. I want to be, you know, I want to be where this is the, this is the place where I want to be. Um, and you know, I, I you know, I'm not never been a. I, I'm, I'm basically indifferent toward Kevin Durant. I'm, I have no ill will toward him. I'm not a particular fan of him. 
Um, not a, I, somewhat indifferent as toward the Warriors, but I'm in, you know, I'm interested to see how the season goes out. Turns out, I, I, I find it funny all of the the assumption that they're going to win like 80 games and roll to the finals. And I'm like, well, it hasn't actually happened yet. That is the one great thing about the sports world is that, you know, we don't know that that's going to happen. We think they're going to be pretty good. They're probably going to be pretty good, but you can't say that for with hundred percent certainty that this is what's going to happen. So. I just, at the end of the day, It'd be great if we just had respect for the people who deserved it. And I feel like athletes who are elite get made fun of in, in spaces that they shouldn't, uh, you know, they, they get typecast in ways that they shouldn't. And a lot of times they're, it's, it's being done by media members who frankly should know better because right. if we treated media members that way, like right. When we when when Deadspin started treating media members that way, media oh, yeah. members freaked out. Right. They freaked out about uh, you know about the way that they were treated in in public spaces. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, again, I don't expect fans to get it. I do expect media members to get it. Right. That's good. So anyway, so, on that note, we need to yes. stop. Yes, we uh, do. <laughs> but um, anyway, good, uh, good, good, good job, good effort, and. <laughs> um, <laughs> We'll, I don't know if it's going to take that well or not. We'll t- we'll take uh, we're going to take our talents to uh, a, a six day break here. We'll be back yes. Monday and next week. Um, good, uh, wish me luck. Uh, the uh, the baby the baby girl is starting swim lessons this week. Oh, uh, very nice. Good so luck. Keep me uh, yeah. Keep me in your thoughts. Uh, she'll do she'll do great she'll do awesome that's so much fun when they do their first one so yeah, absolutely anyway for uh, for brian i'm galen thanks for joining us here we will catch up with you folks uh, on the flip side next week so long everybody bye